get started here. Lord, I thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you so much for all of these kids that are running toward you, King Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you have called us and raised us up for a purpose in this season, in this time, in this nation, in this world, Lord, right now, everything that we're facing. I pray a mighty hedge of protection around everyone in this room, that, Lord, they would be girded up by your word, and that every single morning, Lord, they would put on the full armor of God to walk, to walk with you and to walk out their call. And so, Lord, as we study tonight love in the Bible, I pray that, God, you would speak to us and teach us everything out of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we are going to study love tonight. And I've got a question for everyone. If you had to define love, what would you say? Anybody have an answer? Can anyone define love? It's a verb. It's a verb. Person. A person. Okay. God. God. I was looking for some children to answer. <laughs> Not necessarily Mason. And, and it's a what, Kenzie? An action, yes. But what does it mean? What define it? Anyone? Yes. Leah. Okay, that's good. Care for someone and treat them right. Okay, you might be shocked to know that the Bible actually defines love, and it defines love as a person. So Anna was right. In first John, first John four eight. For he, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So God is love. And, you know, everything that God ordains, Satan tries to attack. Have you all noticed that recently? I mean, it's, it's ramping up, right? Marriage. What is marriage? It's a, it's a covenant between a man and a woman. And the world tries to redefine it. The land of Israel, the world tries to redefine whose land that is. So it's not a surprise that the world would try to redefine what love is because God is love. And that's in 1 John 4, 8. Remember that. So how does the world define love? I mean, we use that term all the time, right? Tonight, I love that pizza, right? You don't really love the pizza because love meets a need. The pizza actually loved you because it met your need of your being hungry, <laughs> Uh, love is an action. Love is a verb, as Mason said. Love's a verb. It's an action because God is a God of action and God is love. And so what did he do? John three sixteen writes the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So love gave. Now you could actually take that verse from 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Go around, go around the Bible and find anywhere that the name of God is, and you could just replace it with love. You know, in the beginning, love created the heavens and the earth. And that's who God is. He's a creator. He's a, a man of action. And why does the world want to redefine love? Well, the world wants to redefine love because God is love. So it's not a surprise that the attack right now, how many of you had heard, have heard the little slogan that goes around, love is love? Have you all heard that in the 
in the community that tries to corrupt the marriage covenant, they use that all the time, right? And love is love. And that's like saying a chair is a chair, you know, and, and a piano is a piano. And that's not that they're actually trying to trying to take God and twist it into something that it's that he's not. And you take that slogan and the corruption of marriage and you fast forward all the way to this last Sunday. How many of you remember last year in the Super Bowl, the whole he gets us campaign, that advertising campaign last year that started to come out? It's on billboards and you see it on commercials all the time. And at the Super Bowl this year, they ramped it up, but they changed it. You know, they changed the he gets us, he being Jesus, and changed it to, you know, gay people washing each other's feet and that Jesus would have done that. And they take love and they twist it into something that it's not. And it's very important that you as a teenager growing up in this world, in this environment, this wasn't something that was around when I was in high school, you know, so prevalent. This wasn't something that really I had to deal with growing up in the 80s and 90s. And the world, frankly, frowned upon it um, and took the stance that the Bible's the Bible and that's what it says. And But you're growing up in a world that that message of corruption is out there for you. And they put the face of Jesus on it. And it's very, very easy. And actually you see it in a vast majority of the body of Christ. It's easy to, to look at that and go, yeah, I think Jesus, Jesus would love and be okay with that, right? And you have to separate, yes, God loves, God is love and he loves them, but he hates that sin and that, and that corruption of the marriage covenant. Okay, so Satan... He's, de- he's been deceiving the church into aligning with his definition of love and marriage for a long time and trying to corrupt it. And so when you go to the, to the New Testament in the Greek, in the New Testament, there's actually four different words in the Greek for love. And I'm sure all of you have heard the word agape. I mean, have, you, have you, all of you heard the word agape love? Okay, that's the highest form of love. That's the God-sized love. Phileo would be kind of the next one down. Okay, and then there's two others that aren't important for tonight. But if, you, if you're reading the New Testament and you see the word love, go into the Greek and figure out which version of love are we talking about here. And when you get to uh, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus is talking to Peter. Now, if you study Peter, he has an amazing life. Here's a guy that was with Jesus the whole time. He was a a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? Always doing something just off the cuff. He's the one that when Jesus was in the garden, Peter drew his sword and cut the ear off of the guy, right? The centurion. And just, he's always out there just running ahead of the Lord and trying to take matters into his own hand. Well, at this point in the ministry, Jesus is talking to him and Peter had started to stray away some. And this is a this is a warning for all of you, you know, as you're growing up in Christ to stay in lockstep with God and to stay as close to him as you can at all times. Because if Peter can drift away and get to the point that he denies Jesus, then any of us can. And when you look at it in John 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had had denied dined. Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? The word that Jesus used was agape. 
So do you, Peter, have a God-sized love for me, your Savior? And Peter said, he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee, I love thee. And you kind of miss this in the English, but Peter took it down a notch. So it was like, it would be like you saying to your mom or dad, your mom and dad saying to you, gosh, I really love you. And you responding going, yeah, I really like you too. It's not the same, it's not the same level, right? It's, it's agape versus phileo. So Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you. And he saith unto him, feed my lambs. Okay, so Peter had a step down in love. And as a result, Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed the children, right? The babies, give them the milk. Okay, he saith unto him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? So he used agape again. He used agape, a God-sized love. And he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And, and Peter once again used the, the word phileo. So he's not, do you see how he's not getting it? He's not getting that Jesus is wanting him to come up to a higher plane of relationship with him. And Peter is refusing and staying where he is. And oftentimes in your life, you're going to go through seasons where the Lord wants to take you up a level. It's like you're in Mario Brothers and you get to the flagpole, right? And you're, you're ready to level up. He wants, to, he wants you to move forward in the game and level up your life and your relationship with him. And you have to make the decision. Am I going to be obedient and step out and follow him in that regard or not? And that decision, I'm sure all of you have faced that decision at some point in your lives. And if you haven't, you will as you get older, I promise. And so the, what we want to ingrain in you now is that you have the agape love for the Lord. So that you, when he asks you that and says, do you love me to the point that you will give up this? Do you love me to the point that you will move here? Do you love me to the point that you will go overseas and do this for me? You know, do you love me to that point? Because he loved you to that point and beyond. Does that make sense? And so then Jesus asked him a third time. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Jesus took it down. He took it down. Peter was denying him. And the third time Jesus brought it down and said, okay, Peter, do you like me? Are you, can I just meet you at that level? And it grieved Peter inside. He was grieved at the fact that the Lord had to bring down and come down to where he was at his level and that Peter didn't get up to where Jesus wanted him to be. And so in this decision-making process in your life, love sacrifices. You know, love is, love is something that you go far and beyond what you ever thought you possibly could do. Love is something that you, you keep going when you think there's no way you can go further. And God says, come on, I need you to go deeper. I need you to walk with me a little bit further and keep pressing on. And then Peter says, and he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And so twice Jesus asked Peter if he agapes him. And twice Peter answers, no, I don't, essentially. And you miss that in the English. 
But in the Greek, it's very specific. And Peter, after this point, remember Jesus goes to the cross, he's crucified, and he told Peter, before this night's over, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's sitting there going, Lord, there is no way. There's no way I'm going to deny you three times. I've walked with you this far. And what did he do? Sure enough, he denied him three times. He Remember, Jesus was at the illegal trial with the Romans and the Jews, and Peter's by the campfire trying to warm up on that cold night. And the guy looks at him and goes, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of the disciples. I know you. And Peter goes, no, no, that's you got a different guy. I've, I've got a beard. This guy didn't, you know, or whatever he's saying. But he denied him three times. And then remember the rooster crowed? And at that point, Peter lost his relationship with the Lord. Because then when Jesus was resurrected, remember when Jesus told them when, it, when he was resurrected, go tell the disciples and Peter. See, Peter, he, Jesus didn't consider him a disciple at that point. Go tell the disciples and yes, tell Peter too. Now, Peter regained a lot because as he got filled with the Holy Spirit after Acts 2, when you look at his sermons through Acts, they're incredible. He, he is a changed individual, but he took a step back. And a lot like the prodigal son, when someone takes a step back in their life, the father, who is love, is always there watching and waiting for you to come back, no matter what's happening. And one of my favorite parts of the prodigal son was the fact that the father was there waiting, anticipating at any moment his son would turn back around and come back. And that's what Peter did. And so I just want to encourage all of you, you know, the world really wants to corrupt what love is. And don't let them influence you in that regard, because love, God is love and you can't corrupt God. And so when you think about what does what is God? Who is God? He sacrificed everything. He he shapes you. He corrects you. He refines you. He provides for you. He speaks to you. He comforts you. You know, God does all of these things in your life and that's who love is. One of my favorite verses is surprise surprise in Revelation. Uh, verse Chapter three, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be, je- be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, the love, if in Hebrews you learn that because you're a legitimate son, God will correct you. So in your life as you're going, when you're out of line, when you're out of a boundary, when you're off the path and your mom and dad step in and try to pull you back and correct you, that's out of love. That's because love corrects. Love meets a need. And in that moment, you need correction. And so love steps in and meets that. But I will tell you, as someone that's gone through it a lot myself, there is no one that can correct like your almighty heavenly father. And God, in his most precious and patient way, in such a loving manner, and only the way God can, will shape and correct you No matter where you go in your life and no matter what you do, if you will just give him the opportunity. And so do that. You know, it's hard. It's easy to try to fight back whenever your parents or a teacher or someone wants to correct something in your life. It's very different when you get that from your heavenly father and he steps in 
and pulls you along in such a loving, gentle way and in correction. And so I would just encourage all of you to, to do that. Now, if you look up love in, in the New Testament, it's all over the Bible, but mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied in Jude 1, 2. Jude 1, 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So love gives you eternal life. You know, Revelation 2, 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. That was the church of Ephesus. They had left their first love, which was God. And they started to try to please man. And so you can find these verses. I would just encourage you, go home in a blue letter Bible, type in love, and just read every verse in the New Testament that has the word love in it. And if you want to go deeper, look and figure out, is it phileo? Is it agape? Is it the other two versions? Is it a verb? And you can learn a lot about what love is. It's just amazing. Uh, in first, second, and third John, it's all over the book. And here's, here's a good one. Second John 1, 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. So if you love God, you know, love is an action. Walk after what he says. And I'll just give you one more food for thought here as you're studying the Bible. But the law of first mention. So in the Bible, there's something we call the law of first mention. Anywhere you come across a concept or a word the first time, it's really important. And God, God brings that out. And so the first time in the Bible, who does anyone have a guess where the first time in the Bible love shows up? Any guesses? Genesis. Not from parents? Genesis. Max, Genesis, yes. No, but close. Great guess. In the beginning, right? Yeah, you could say in the beginning, God, in the beginning, love. So <laughs> the first verse. But it actually shows any other guesses? Any others? And you guys are quiet tonight. Last time I was here, you, all of you were so chatty. Everyone's excited about ice cream, aren't you? Okay, Genesis 22, verse 2 is where the first time love shows up. And this in Genesis 22, it's where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And so put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a minute. Here's a guy that was promised a, a son. And through his lineage, the Messiah would come. And Abraham and Sarai waited and waited and waited and waited. And years after year after year, it never happened. And here's a guy, finally, the miraculous birth, Sarah gets pregnant and has Isaac. And Isaac's in his young 30s, around the same age as Jesus. And God tells Abraham to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. I mean, just imagine putting yourself in, that, in Abraham's shoes of, Lord, you, you promised me this. I waited forever. You finally gave it to me. Now you just want me to go kill him? You know, he probably wrestled a lot, but he knew that through Isaac, the Messiah had to come and Isaac didn't have children yet. So Abraham actually walked in faith, knowing that, OK, if I go forward with this, God, you have a problem because you then have to resurrect Isaac. You have to bring him back from the dead so that he can have children. And so he went through with it. And here's the first place love shows up in the Bible in Genesis 22, verse 2. And he, being God, said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. 
and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell, will tell of thee, tell thee of. Lovest, there it is, whom thou lovest. And so in that setup in the Bible, in Genesis 22, verse 2, you have God setting the stage that at some point on that very same mountain, God, who is love, would offer his son, Jesus, for each one of us, for everyone that's ever lived. Because where Abraham took Isaac to offer him was at the top of Mount Moriah in a place called Golgotha, just north of Jerusalem. It's the same place where Jesus walked the mountain and, and gave himself up and was crucified, where the father offered Jesus. And so love set the stage right there on Mount Moriah all those years in advance. Isn't it amazing that God foreshadowed that all the way back in Genesis 22? And everything about the story foreshadows Christ and the church because then what happens after Abraham offers Isaac? Isaac doesn't show up in the picture for a long time until he runs out into a field to meet his bride. And his bride was gathered by Abraham's servant named Eliezer, which means comforter. Remember what Jesus said? I must leave so the comforter can come. And the Holy Spirit has been gathering the church for Christ almost 2,000 years. And sure enough, at some point, the bridegroom, just like Isaac's, going to run out to meet his bride. Only we're not going to meet in a field. We're going to meet in the air and go home in the rapture of the church. So God is love. Don't ever forget that. And, you know, love can take on a lot of things. There's no question you can ask God that he'll be offended by. There's nothing you can do that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. And so I just want to encourage all of you, don't forget that as you're growing up, that as you're going through life and things happen and God wants to bring you up to that next level like he did Peter, just be obedient and answer the call because what he has for you is better than anything you could ever imagine for yourself. I promise. And sometime I'll, I'll share a, a testimony here about a lot of those events in my life and how I walked through a lot of doors that God opened that I had no idea what was on the other side. And lo and behold, sure enough, it was something way better than what I was in before. And so do that and keep that in mind throughout your life. You guys have any questions about any of this? Anything? No one, no one, no one, see none? Okay, everyone's excited for ice cream. You guys are quiet tonight. I know, I was like, yes, Mabry. Do you okay, this is great. Oh yes, Mabry. I just, it's not a long question, just what are the other two names? Like, the, the other, oh, the other two Greek names? Well, they're in my notes right here, if you want to know them, Mabry. Thank you for asking a question. Uh, it's <laughs> Eros and Storge. E-R-O-S and S-T-O-R-G-E. And then there's agape and phileo. Agape is the best one. one. That's the God-sized love. If you remember nothing else, Max, just remember that. Agape is the God-sized love, okay? Okay, we're going to, if any other questions, yes, Kenzie. Clothing himself in, you know, all the fruits of the spirit, you know. But mm-hmm. are you were you using that 
for like us as you know the people who are trying to learn and glean from it is it a way of saying like we all sometimes go astray and we all you know do things and we're going to sin we're broken people in need of a savior but god's redeeming love got him to where he was in acts which was fully and and completely surrendered and devoted to christ fully i mean because you're back in you know that time where he denied him he just wasn't there right. i mean like go, yes go yeah yeah no you're you've got it okay. that's right it's it's the the model of you know, you can't lose your salvation because you did nothing to earn it except accepting it, right? It's a gift. So you accept it. But your relationship with God can, if you allow it, go in waves and phases and seasons. I mean, some seasons people are you know, on fire for the Lord and doing a lot for him. And then you might see them kind of back off and, and they slip into something again that the world's tempting them with or the enemy's trying to pull them away with. And for whatever reason, Peter at that time was, here's a guy that walked with the creator of the universe in the flesh throughout the mountains of Judea and all over Jerusalem and Samaria and around Israel. And yet he saw God face to face in the flesh and he even denied Jesus. And he saw all kinds of things. The Mount Transfiguration was Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the rising of Jairus' daughter. He watched Jesus heal lepers and heal the blind and raise the dead. And so he saw all of this and he still denied him. And why is that though? Because there's no faith as the evidence of things not seen. So there's no faith in what Peter saw. There's only faith in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And so for, to that point, yes, Peter was maybe as close to Jesus as anyone on the planet. And he still, at the end of the day, denied him and fell backwards. He was backslidden. And to the point that God didn't even consider him a disciple. But the good thing is, under the mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father, he was welcomed right back in when he ran back to him. And so that's just encouraging for all of us. You know, you can't, God doesn't demand perfection. He demands the pursuit of it. And so don't, don't ever forget that. You know, it's, it's the difference between Solomon and David. David, here's a guy that murdered someone, committed adultery and murdered someone to cover it up. And then he did all kinds of horrible things. He took a census he wasn't supposed to. And he fumbled the ball a lot. But, but God has not one bad thing in the whole Bible to say about David. Because he was a man after God's own heart. Every single time David repented and ran back to the Lord. His pursuit of perfection never ended. And some of those are extreme cases in David's life. But it's just a good testimony for us that, yes, no matter how far away you think you've fallen at some point, you always, always have a loving heavenly father with his arms wide open to welcome you back home. Yes, Kenzie. That leads me to my next question. Um, so we meet with a girls group, um, some 14 year old Bible study, and one of the girls asked last night if um, I thought that God was disappointed. Like, is he dis- does he get disappointed in us? And I said, I mean, I know that we've learned a lot 
about and how God's word does not contradict itself. And if we look at all the attributes of God, you know, God is love. God is, you know, slowing. All these attributes are all good things. So, I mean, like, being disappointed or, you know, it's almost, it's contradictory of all the attributes that he is. He's, he's a sovereign God. He's a good, good father. So what is your response to that, Matt, in terms of, like, we, obviously we're human. I mean, I feel like when you were describing Peter when he fell back, um, that's, like, the essence of humanity. You know, we're human, and a lot of times, again, why we are in such need of a Savior, because humanity is just, you know, we're just kind of, like, stupid sheep. But anyway, Yeah, so can God be disappointed? Yes. Is that kind of the, kind of the, gist, the gist of it, the question? Yeah, in Ephesians, the Lord says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit grieves, can grieve. And God, God will never be mad at you, but there's a difference between being mad and hurt and disappointed. And I mean, just imagine, I'm sure Jesus was very, very hurt when Peter denied him at the trials. Because he, he had been with him for so long and doing so many things. I mean, when David messed up, God was heartbroken and he was grieved over that. And so, yeah, it's just the difference of God's not going to be mad and correct you out of anger. You know, anger, correction out of love is, is awesome. It's welcome. Correction out of anger is never welcome. And, and so that's another difference between um, parents and the Lord. Yes, Mason. I think there's something to the fact that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? You know, in connection with the fact that Peter denied him three times. And mm-hmm. sort of could be some, some uh, rest- restoring of Peter in a loving way. Jesus saying, you know, just connecting the fact that there was three denials, but he asked him, do you love me three times? And then he met him where he was. Yeah. And so. Yeah, great point. It's just, you know, overarching as we talk about could God be disappointed in us? Yeah. But he loves you in the middle of it, you know? Just like as a a parent could be disappointed. Hey, I'm not disappointed in you. uh, As a parent could be disappointed in a, in a kid, um, that's all, you know, that can almost be worse than them being mad at you when they're disappointed. You know, I've felt that before. But the yeah. point is that overarching, overarching is love. Yeah. You're disappointed because you love that kid and you, and you know that they can do that. You know, so. And you don't want to see them go off the path. Yeah, exactly. You lovingly don't want to see them. You know, running to destruction and running toward, so. I mean, it's God was grieved over Israel all throughout the Old Testament. They were 48 hours removed from Exodus and they were fashioning a golden calf. You know, saying this is what delivered us out of Egypt. And that grieved the Lord. And to the point that he was like, all right, Moses, move over. We're going to start all over with just you. You know, I'm going to wipe these people out and because they're not fit, you know, for service. And so there's, you could go into a whole study about that. But being disappointed and grieved, you absolutely can grieve the Father and grieve the Holy Spirit and and. Grieve the Lord when you run out from his covering. And it's just because he knows what's best for you. And he knows what you need because love meets a need. Love is action. And so when he has a provision and an action for you and wants to meet that, he just wants you to be obedient and stay with him.
Okay, any other questions? Anyone? Anyone? All right, let's pray. We've got an ice cream Sunday bar, and then we're all going to walk over and go check out the, the new youth space, the progress on it. Sound good? All right. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. God, we thank you that you are love. And no matter how much the world wants to redefine it, God, you cannot be redefined. And Lord, we thank you that in your strength and in your might that you hold us together, that you refine us, that you build us up, that you shape our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd give every single person here the words in their mouth to speak to those at school, their friends, their peers, wherever they are in their circle of life. Let them have words to speak in love and truth. And Lord, let them speak righteousness and holiness from your word and bury those words in the depths of their hearts, Lord, and be with us in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.